1: Pack your bags
0: with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more.
0: Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, October 18th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, prolonged dry conditions are impacting Mississippi farmers in the field and at market. Then we continue the Southern Poverty Law Center's examination into youth incarceration by taking a closer look at the school-to-prison pipeline. Plus, we preview disaster in the night with filmmaker Willie Bearden. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Agriculture is king in Mississippi. The state's leading industry generates over six billion dollars annually, according to World Atlas. But a month-long drought has created challenges for some of the state's roughly forty-three thousand farms.
3: We we had a pretty good corn crop, but when July hit, the crops that were dependent on on water, such as uh my peanuts, soybeans, pumpkins, they suffered tremendously where they were not watered.
0: That's Don Mitchell, owner of Mitchell Farms in Collins. The average August rain pattern in the Pine Belt is 11 rainy days for an average total of roughly five to six inches. But farms in the region and across the state have received a fraction of that this year. Mitchell tells our Lacey Alexander farms without irrigated fields have taken a hit from the dry conditions.
3: I didn't have a me personally, a major loss on, but about 150 acres or so is what I had a major loss on. But now I had enough other crops that, that you know I'm personally going to be okay. Now some of my friends they had a lot of lot of crops that were totally dependent on rainfall in July and August, September, and they're they're taking a pretty a, a little worse leak than than me personally. Uh, I'm taken, but I guess you'd say I
1: just got lucky. You said that some of your colleagues that are also in agriculture are seeing harder losses than you are. Obviously, this dry weather is affecting farmers around the country, but what other elements go into why some farmers are having a harder time than others, do you think?
3: Well, you you never know what the weather's going to do when you're sitting at the kitchen table in January and deciding what you're going to plant where. But the boys that do, do not have any irrigation, nine years out of ten, they do fine. So I guess it just depends on what you grow and when you plant it and what the weather is and when it needs it.
0: Compounding the issue are the extremely low water levels on the Mississippi River. Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce Andy Gibson says the low levels have affected the supply chain causing prices to rise. He tells us it's all a reminder of how vital water is to the state's leading industry.
2: The drought has impacted our production uh, in a negative way, not only in Mississippi but all across the country. But for those who had good irrigation this year, you know, they've got a good crop that needs to get to market and it's impacting them by virtue of the fact that the river has dried up Uh, Again,
0: have you heard anything from farmers about um, moving away from certain crops? Because, well, let me say that again. Have you heard from any farmers that they will move away from certain crops since this is the second year that we're seeing this serious drought, or are they talking about getting out of farming?
2: No, I've not heard that. I think farmers are pretty uh, resourceful people. They they understand that weather is one thing that uh, we can't control. We Weather is something that is one of those unknowns that's always a factor, whether it's too much water or not enough water. So farmers are able to, to, to plan for this, prepare for this. Nobody has said they're going to move away from crops or they're going to stop farming altogether. It's just... Uh, well, what we know is these interruptions are going to happen, and as long as there's a place to store this grain, there will be a market for it. In fact, this is going to pin up uh, the more demand for these products as the river is, is low, and the, the time will come when it opens back up as the winter sets in, and uh, we'll be able to ship uh, probably all we want to up and down the river. So I I think farmers are resilient enough that uh, we will persevere through this, just like we did last year. and and uh, come out on the other side.
0: You talked about those with good irrigation processes will be able to deal with this. What is a good irrigation process?
2: There are some farms that have irrigation in place. There are some farms that have tapped underground uh, aquifers, and they have ample irrigation to uh, keep the crops watered. And even in the midst of the drought, they've been able to keep their crops watered. Now, they would have done better if they'd had some natural rainfall, but at least they've made a crop with irrigation. And then there are some farms that are not tapping the aquifers. They may not be in a location that has access to good aquifer. They may be in a location that uh, it's just not cost uh, justified to, to do that type of practice. But my point is there are some farms, especially in the Delta, primarily in the Delta, but some all around the state, that farmers have tapped irrigation so they have uninterrupted supply of water. And uh, I think this year in particular illustrates the importance of that, not only here in Mississippi, but it illustrates it across the country, why water, having access to abundant water, as Mississippi does, is uh, is, is such a valuable asset to our state.
0: Is there any state or federal funding to help farmers when they go through this drought situation?
2: Yes. Well, there's crop insurance, of course, uh, and that's our producer's number one go-to for relief is the crop insurance if they have that, and most farmers do. If they have a bank loan, for example, they're going to have that crop insurance. And then there are drought relief uh, programs through the Farm Service Agency, such as low-interest loans through the the FSA that's uh, underwritten by the United States Department of Agriculture. And then for For uh, livestock producers, there is uh, the Livestock Forage Program, uh, Livestock Forage Assistance Program to help farmers uh, uh, a little bit on the cost of of hay, having to buy extra hay during the time of the drought season. And a lot of our producers in Mississippi are tapping into that because about 99% of the state right now is covered in, in drought conditions.
0: Agriculture and Commerce Commissioner, Andy Gibson, thank you so much for your time and speaking with us. We appreciate it. Appreciate
2: you, Desiree. Thank you.
0: Coming up, we continue the Southern Poverty Law Center's examination into youth incarceration by taking closer look at what they call the school-to-prison pipeline. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: Scott Tong. President Biden travels to Tel Aviv and Jordan to show
4: support for Israel and to meet with both Israeli and Arab leaders in the region. Meanwhile, Russian President Putin is in Beijing meeting with Chinese leader Xi as the war in Ukraine goes on.
5: We will have the latest next time in here and now.
0: Today at noon
5: on MVB Think Radio.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Youth arrest rates are on the decline nationally and at the state level, but a recent report by the Southern Poverty Law Center reveals despite that drop, youth incarceration rates are on the rise in Mississippi. In part two of their conversation, Delvin Davis, Senior Policy Analyst at the SPLC, Tells our Mike McEwen, education policies are a major factor in what they call the school-to-prison pipeline.
4: Every 15 minutes in, in Mississippi, uh, a young Black student is suspended from school. So the disconnection from community and education, which are, for a young person, usually the two, um, the two colors that are most stable in a young person's life that need to um, be intact, um, incarceration kind of separates the kids from both of them. Um, these uh, community programs are things that would kind of restore or keep intact uh, either community and/or education for for a child, and also just help um, a, a child to be uh, able to weather uh, kind of a disruptive part of uh, of their life if they have a situation like that.
1: So we're on the topic of schools. The report labels Mississippi as having a quote-unquote get tough approach to school discipline. Could you just elaborate on that? And I guess I'm wondering what that means, especially in the school-to-prison pipeline that you were just speaking about.
4: Yeah, so this kind of going back to the super better predator myth of um, the mid-90s. That myth was never realized uh, coming out of the 90s, but it did produce a lot of policies that were more cross Uh We uh, it gets a lot into not only jails and prisons and more police on the streets, but also more police in schools. Um, we had more get tough policies um, as far as um, zero child tolerance in our school system, um, which led to more suspensions and expulsions. And, uh, and again, when you're um, disconnecting a child from their educational system, uh, it's kind of hard to replicate that for for a kid in any other. Uh, means outside of school, especially if that kid is going um, going to jail. So, uh, Mississippi, in particular, has one of the highest expulsion and uh, suspension rates for uh, for youth in in the country. For the latest data from the uh, United States Department of Education, um, but even with that, um, just for Black kids, uh, disproportionately, um, out of all the kids, black children that were suspended um, in America, uh, the largest portion came from Mississippi uh, for black kids that were suspended from school. So, uh, so we're seeing that is uh, possibly the uh, the first step to the prison uh, school to prison pipeline. Um, if the last step being uh, putting that kid into um, a jail or
1: a prison. And is there. Is there any quantitative data that you have on on that? I'm just wondering in terms of, you know, are kids getting sent to a juvenile facility for fighting or something? Is it drug offenses? Is it nonviolent offenses, non-drug offenses? Is there any kind of picture on that?
4: Yeah, so the Mississippi Division of Youth Services, they uh, they have data that, that speaks to uh, the number of kids that are in youth court and breaks it down by percentage of um, how major or minor uh, their alleged offense is. Um, about half of the, the kids are, uh, 54% are in there for what they consider moderate offenses. Um, about 26%, uh, about a quarter of them, are considered serious offenses. Um, but there's also a larger, a large chunk of them that's, that's in there for either minor or, or what's called status offenses. Status offense is something that is really only a crime when a a child does it, uh, does a particular thing. Um, It could be running away from home, um, underage drinking, uh, truancy, uh, offenses, skipping school too much, uh, breaking curfew. Um, It's altogether things that are not uh, violent things, but still something that could put you behind bars if you're deemed so by, by a judge. Um, one thing we were seeing in the data, uh, again, going back to 2013 to 2022, uh, a larger percentage of youth court cases has been coming from these status offenses that are nonviolent, uh, but still uh, things that can put you in jail. So so we have to be able to deal with, you know, not only serious offenses, but, uh, but also just also realize that uh, not every kid is uh, particularly violent or has done a violent thing. Um, do they necessarily need to have uh, juvenile justice or crossroads setting to um, to deal with these kids? I- I'm I'm guessing that we can also find ways that are more restorative. Doesn't attend on jails and prisons, and also saves the, the state a lot of money as well. It's very very expensive to keep a kid um, in a juvenile justice system as opposed to um, using that money to invest in alternatives or even the public school system as well.
1: The minimum age of youth incarceration in Mississippi is currently ten years old. You all at the SPLC recommended that be bumped up to at least fourteen. Could you explain why?
4: Yeah. So um, so when you think about a a ten year old, uh, that's elementary school. You know, um, I'm the father of a ten year old myself, and um, just looking at her, she's you know, assuming how how, how small she is, um, only with her size, but also her um, her maturity state, uh, where she is in life. You know, kids that that young are, um, like I was saying before, uh, most susceptible to peer pressure, have a harder time discerning between right and wrong. And, you know, these things that they're still trying to learn in life. And that's the age where, you know, I think we can have an easier time uh, helping that, that young person to mature if we're able to put that person in, in a uh, more restorative space that helps the kid as opposed to punishing the kid. So, um, so 14 is the... Um, recommended age for from the United nations that um they're seeing internationally for other countries um develop, developed- countries across the world um and fourteen you know you can argue that is also uh pretty young as well but um but you know there there are some um states that don't have any minimum age um some that have, have uh, like Florida has even a younger age than ten uh, so we at sblc we're trying to uh, raised at the, the minimum age of incarceration um, up across the board. So um, we think 10 is, uh, there's some uh, room for improvement there.
0: Delvin Davis is a senior policy analyst at the Southern Poverty Law Center. Next, we preview Disaster in the Night with filmmaker Willie Bearden. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What can you do with the MPB Radio app? Listen live, hear local news, view the schedule, make a contribution, listen to shows on demand, and interact with social media. Get the app for your smartphone now.
1: This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier.
2: There's this little red cell coming across Louisiana. I mean, it was really tight and and firecracker red. And I told my employee, I said, that's bad news right
0: there. It was like no warning. Um, It was just one minute notice. I heard
5: the freight train. I said, oh, no, I know what this is.
0: I thought he was making his way down my trailer. I thought it was just eating up my trailer, getting to us. And I just started saying, Lord, please protect my family. Lord, please protect my
3: family. At that moment, you're just thinking about, am I going to live? Am I going to survive? It was
5: quiet. And it was dark. And it was, it was so quiet and hard to hear was people for help. This man walked up to
2: me and said, there's two dead bodies
5: behind family dollar.
0: Those are the voices of Rolling Fork residents captured in a new docu-series examining the devastation and aftermath of the March 24th tornadoes. Rolling Fork Tornadoes of 2023. The first in the series is called Disaster in the Night. It's the product of Rolling Fork native Willie Bearden. The first episode will air on MPB tomorrow night at 7, with parts 2 and 3 coming early next year. Bearden's filmmaking journey is a nod to the state's rich tradition of storytelling.
5: I became a storyteller because I grew up in Rolling Fork. I just feel like that's such uh, that's such a part of who we are as Mississippians. You know, when when we talk about things, we tell stories. So when when the tornado hit, uh, I knew that I had to tell the story of the place where I grew up and the place that I remembered, but also the place where my friends still live. I thought these these disasters happen all over the place all the time now. What's different about this? And I think what is different about this is that I'm a storyteller and I make films. So maybe we can tell this where probably not a lot of other places – have somebody there who could really, really tell that story. And so we we got with Mississippi Public Broadcasting, and we hatched a plan here to do a three-part series about this over over a year's time.
0: And so the first part one airs October 19th, which is Thursday night on Mississippi Public Broadcasting Television at 7 p.m. And then part two and three air next year in 2024 what will people see um, without giving it all away in part one of the rolling fork tornado of 2023 that's the name of the doc, uh, documentary and the episode right. is disaster in the night that's what you call the first episode
5: right yes because it was nighttime when this hit which would which makes it all the more frightening it it makes it all the more confusing. So what we did, we went down there, and we didn't want to just stay on the disaster. I I mean, you know, it's horrible. I think people saw the pictures in the newspaper. People saw uh, the television accounts of this. So, yes, we do show that, but we talk about what happened to uh, the human beings that we know and that we met coming in there. And we tried to do a huge cross section of the people who live there and tell their stories and how it impacted them.
0: One thing that came up was right after the storm, there was so much volunteering and people coming in to help. And then over a period of time, it dwindles off and people felt like they were on their own. No one was coming to help them anymore? Did you find that?
5: Yeah, we did find that. Uh, certainly, certainly, when the volunteer groups came in, they came in to some of them uh, do this. They come in to feed people. They come in to feed the first responders. Uh, they come in to bring, you know, necessities. You think about, you know, diapers and you know toiletries. And and water and things like that. You know, the the water was off for days in Rolling Fork. Uh, there was obviously no electricity. Uh, people were coming in to help people charge their phones and things of that nature. Uh, but yes, then you know, unfortunately, but but it's just you know the way things go that that these organizations move on to the next tragedy. You know, because there's always a next tragedy, and and. I think people did feel like they were kind of just left there. And sometimes government is not great at communicating what people are to do or what is there for people. And, you know, let's be honest, you know, people in local governments uh, who is trained to figure out this stuff? Nobody. You know, nobody. You know, something comes in and blows away two-thirds of your town, what do you do? No, Nobody is prepared for that. So it's almost a losing situation all the way around.
0: And thinking about three parts, you are able to capture enough to do three parts about Rolling Fork and the tornado?
5: <clears throat> uh, no, no. And, and that's the beauty of uh, doing three parts. We we are still shooting on part two that will show probably in January. We're following people in real time as things change. And then when we do part three, we're going to look at what Rolling Fork looks like a year later.
0: Is this town gonna come back? And I mean and and be honest, is it gonna come back in your estimation?
5: You know, I I think everybody wants Rolling Fork to come back and it will come back in some way. It will never be like it was before. Hopefully what it can be, it can be better.
0: Well, Willie Bearden, who now lives in South Haven, a native of Rolling Fork, who along with several other Uh, professionals, have produced a documentary called Disaster in the Night. The first episode will air on Mississippi Public Broadcasting TV Thursday night, October 19th at 7 p.m. We thank you so much for your time.
5: Thank you so much for having me.
0: This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.